Amen. Amen. Can we turn over in our Bibles to the uh, book of uh, Titus again and to the second uh, chapter of uh, the book of the Epistle of Paul to Titus? And we're going to read from the first verse of the chapter again. Titus chapter 2 and beginning our reading at the first verse of the chapter. Titus chapter 2 and beginning at verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviours becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, and he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And we pray that God will bless the reading of his precious word again to our hearts. We're looking at verses 3 to 5 of the portion of Scripture tonight. In this epistle, Paul is writing to Titus in the island of Crete. Paul was concerned about the young church there in Crete, and he wanted Titus to go there and set in order the things that were concerning the church. Titus 1 verse 5 is the key verse of the epistle. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And one of the first things that he did to set things in order was to appoint the elders and set up the church. And then he begins to speak to the church and he speaks to the older men, and then to the older women, and then to the young women, and then to the young men. And last time, we thought about what Paul had to say to the older men. And tonight, what we're going to do is look at what Paul is saying to the women. Now, you'll notice that there is a list again. As we said last time, there are those that uh, despise lists, and would say that if 
a preacher comes up with a list of what you are to be or what you're to do, that they are a legalist. Well, I don't think that anyone would say that the Apostle Paul or the uh, inspired Word of God is legalistic. And we find that there is a list, and a list is legitimate. Now, there have been lists in times gone by of things that Christians didn't do or places that they didn't go. And sometimes God's people didn't know why they couldn't go to that place or do that thing. Well, that, that's not right. We should uh, back everything that we do according to the Word of God. But I want you to see that Paul, on these occasions, does give lists of things that should be true of the every child of God. And we, we're going to talk about the <coughs> women tonight. And what I want you to see is that these things that are spoken to the women apply to men as well, most of them anyway, apply to men as the things that were said to the men before uh, living holy lives and being uh, uh, not false accusers and things like that, uh, grave and temperate. All those things are to be true of all Christians. It's just that Paul was particularly applying these things. These were things that were particularly wanting in the older men. And these are things that he points out that are particularly uh, wanting or, or things that are needed uh, in the lady folk. And when we look at the list, it's not politically correct. It's not going to be a politically correct thing as far as this day and generation is concerned. But I hope that we don't want to be politically correct. We want to be biblically correct. We want to live according to what the Word of God has to say. And we have to say that there are many women in the public sphere in this day and generation that are hardly examples. You think of the politicians. You think of uh, MPs like Stella Creasy that promoted and uh, got abortion laws, very liberal abortion laws, uh, put into Northern Ireland. You think of uh, Claire Bailey of the Green Party who uh, opposed or, or proposed the safe uh, zones around abortion clinics. You think of others in the public sphere and they have hardly been examples. And you think of organizations like the Girl Guides that are uh, promoting a version of what a woman is that is not according to what the Bible has to say at all. So we need to be very clear about what the biblical teaching is. We are living in a day when this is under attack. And I want you to see what Titus says here in verses 3 to 5. He says, The age women likewise, that they be in behaviors become of holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So in the passage, you have 11 qualities of a godly woman. Now, we're going to look at them. Don't worry, we won't be here all night. We'll deal with them pretty briefly. But I want you to see that Paul is speaking. He divides it into two, the older women and the younger women. Um, the older women, there are, are some things that are to be true of them. 
that are not true of the younger women, but it's according to the season of life just that they are divided. But I want you to see that while there's a slight difference between older women and younger women, that here we have the qualities of a godly woman. Now, first of all, I want you to see that the godly woman is sanctified in behavior. Now, the first thing that Paul says to the ladies, he says, the aged women, likewise, that they be in behaviors becometh holiness. And you notice that it's linked to what has already been said about the men, that the, the older women or the aged women, likewise. So you can see already that these true things are really true of men and women. Uh, and the, the, he speaks about a behavior that becometh holiness. And the word holiness there is a word that is used which has a link to the priesthood of the Old Testament. And it is to be almost like priestly in your demeanor and your actions. It is something to be uh, pure. It is to be pure. It is to be those that are sanctified and set apart from God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 it says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So holiness is something that is to be true. Now, holiness is hard to define. What do we mean by holiness? Well, holiness is a life that shuns sin. A godly woman is devoted to overcoming and avoiding any and all sin. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. There are sins of commission and sins of omission. But a godly woman should have a zero tolerance of sin or a godly man. You can see that it applies to both. But holiness is a life that shuns sin. Holiness is a habit of being of one mind with God. We are to be in conformity to what God says in his word. It is a mind that is described in the scriptures as one that agrees with God's judgment, hating what God hates, loving what God loves, measuring everything in the world by the standard of God's precious word. That is holiness. It's a life that shuns sin. It's a life that has a habit of being of one mind with God. And it's also a life that strives to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. A godly woman or a godly man draws near to God, wants to have the characteristics of a Savior, bask in the presence of the Savior. And the only way that we can be more and more like the Savior is to listen to his word and to be in his presence. And it will be unfair if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus, a life of forgiveness. We'll forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. We'll be unselfish. Christ pleased not himself. We'll walk in love as Christ loved us. We'll be lowly-minded, unhumble-minded, even as Christ made himself of no reputation. We'll remember that as Christ we're a faithful witness to the truth, that he came not to do his own will, but the will of his Father that he was meek and patient, that he had more time for the poor, the godly poor, than for kings, that he was 
a, a man of love and compassion, bold and uncompromising in the truth. He sought not to praise men, but that he, uh, but he went about doing good. He was separate from worldly people. Uh, he uh, continued instant in prayer. And all of those things, if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, those things are going to be true of us. You remember what the Lord said? Uh, uh, he said, He that saith he abideth in him, or in Christ, John said, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Uh, Peter said, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So the godly woman then is sanctified in her behavior. Secondly, a godly woman is scrupulous in her speech. It says in the verse, not false accusers. The Greek for false accusers there is an interesting word. It's the word diabolos, which is very often uh, uh, translated. It occurs 37 times in the New Testament, and 34 of those times it is translated devil. You're not to be a devil. You're You're not to be like the devil. The devil is a liar. The devil is a slanderer. The devil goes about, remember how he lied to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What a slander. Well, the dictionary says it's untrue allegations, claims of wrongdoings against an individual group or business, and it is done to attack somebody, to ruin their reputation. And the commandment says in Exodus 20 and verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. We need to be very careful with our speech. We need to be very careful about what we say. Ephesians 4 and 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. But we are to be scrupulous in our speech. Thirdly, we're to be sober in our habits. He says here that we, uh, the, is, the, the, the uh, godly woman here is to be uh, sober. And, and she, it becometh holiness not given to much wine. It says there in verse 3. And it says about the um, younger women too, that the young woman, verse 4, be sober. So this is something, now you'll notice if you look at the list carefully, that this is something that occurs in every one of the lists. Um, you, we, we thought about the uh, aged men, that they be temperate, and we said that that word has a connotation about wine drinking, about alcohol. We have now seen it in the older or the aged women. We have seen it in the younger women. If you go down to the end, you will see, if you look in the list of the young men, again it recurs. So this is something that Paul is very worried about here. It's something that he's trying to enter, emphasize. Again, you'll find that it was in relation to the elders. So in every list that you have, 
Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And we think of how uh, drunkenness is something that is condemned utterly in the Word of God. And of course, if you don't drink, you are not in any danger of being drunken. The commentator Daniel Aiken wrote, It is of course certain and undebatable that if one never takes the first drink, one will never have to worry about drunkenness or alcoholism and all the misery that follows in the footsteps of drink. Wisdom and witness would make this a wise course of action. So you'll see that in all of the lists, this is something that is uh, pointed out. You'll see in every case, many people, even Christians today, are uh, veering towards taking alcohol. But I want you to see how in the list that are given here, every one of them, there is a mention of this. So we're sober in habit. Then, fourthly, a godly woman is a standard to follow. Now, if you look at the text, it says that they are to mentor the young woman. This is the older one. This is the one that applies to the older woman. Look at the verse there, that they uh, are teachers of good things. In verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and goes on to give the list of what they are to teach the young women. Now, I want you to see that the older women, even those that have retired, do not retire from serving the Lord. They're involved in the church, and the phrase young women there doesn't have an age. It means young women who are headed towards marriage or children, or even those that are in the middle of marriage and children. But the older women, the age women, as it calls them here, are to teach the younger women, to mentor the younger women. And we'll go into the specifics of how they're to mentor them in a few minutes. But I want you to see that there is to be a teaching. We're to teach one another. We're to mentor one another. One of the things that is very lacking in the church in these days is that teaching, that discipleship, that helping one another, advising one another. We live in a day when there is such an emphasis upon the young people that it seems as if the young people think, well, we know it all, we don't need a lesson, but you know you can get a great deal of wisdom from those that have passed away before. And the young men have the elders that can look to the elders, uh, and, but the young women, uh, the, the older women, the aged women, have gone through it before. They have transversed that way before. They've gone through all of the things And the Westminster Confession of Faith says, All saints that are united to Jesus Christ their head, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, so uh, as to conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and the outward man. In other words, we help one another. We teach one another. And we see that in the Bible, discipleship is relational. We build up relationships with one another. So we see that the older women here, they are to be 
uh, teachers, they're to be mentors, not catty, not destructive. The older women can be destructive, they can be cynical, they can be catty towards one another, but that's not what they are. We are to mentor one another. The fifth characteristic is steady in love. They're to love their husbands. They, that they teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. Now, older women have gone through marriage. Older women know how the first few years of marriage, there was an attempt to change the spouse. Um, maybe when the, the, the courtship was taking place, uh, the, your husband behaved himself and was very attentive and all the rest. And then it gets into the years of marriage. And my, you try to change him. And then it gets to the point where you realize that maybe he's not going to be changed the way that you thought that he's going to be changed. And maybe it gets into the place where um, reality takes place. And maybe the reality is not as good as what you thought it was going to be. But the older women have experienced that. And they know that what you do is go through that. We know that marriage is a union of one man with one woman for a lifetime. For a lifetime. In other words, she understands there's a commitment there. It's not, it's not all rosy in the garden. But as we're committed to one another, as we um, live with one another, then we uh, learn from that. And again, the older women have an insight that is able to give to the, uh, to the younger women. The, the God's definition of marriage we find in Matthew 9, verses 4 to 6. The Lord said, and he answered and said unto them, have ye not read that that which was made at the beginning made, uh, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And once we understand that marriage is for a lifetime. That brings about a life that is going to bring about happiness. It will bring about happiness, but we need to work at it and keep working at it all of the time. But again, you can see how the aged women, as it calls them here, are able to help in that. Something else about the women. They're supportive of their children. It says here that the woman is to love their children. Now, you maybe wonder about that. If anybody loves their children, it is the mother. So, there's, and mothers will love their children. You often even find that in the Bible, as a, as a mother looks after her children, or we think of the the, uh, the uh, pictures that are given of the motherly love that there is in the Bible. And so we wonder why the uh, younger women have to be instructed to love 
their children. There's something special. There's something specific here. There's a specific uh, type of love that uh, Paul is thinking about here. And we think of Paul when he wrote to the Thessalonians. He used the love of a mother. And he says, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse, nurse cherisheth her children. Now, what he's speaking about there is a kind of a nurturing love. It's a personal nurturing affection. And I think that that's what he's referring to here in this portion of Scripture. It's easy for us to get distracted and maybe let other things enter in. And we need to love our children and we need to nurture our children. Now, how do we nurture our children? Well, first of all, our children need boundaries. Do you know that children need parents? They don't know what is best. They don't know what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Sometimes they have their own wills. But children need boundaries. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. A youth left self without boundaries is going to fall and fail. They end up hurting themselves and maybe hurting others. Proverbs 22 and 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. We need to make sure that those things are driven from our children. There needs to be a teaching of our children, a setting of boundaries, godly boundaries, for our children. Secondly, not only do children need boundaries, but children need religious teaching. They need to be taught in the things of God. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 20 says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Your children, you need to teach them the Bible. You need to teach them how to behave. How, how to live godly lives. You need to teach them what to believe. What is pleasing to God. You need to teach them. And then your children, thirdly, need protection from bad influences. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Beware of the influence the books that they read, the things that they watch, the music that they listen to, the people that they spend time with. The younger they are, the less resistant they will be uh, to the bad influences. And so we need to spend time with them and tell them what is a bad influence and so on. But the young women here in particular, they are to love their children but something else about the qualities of a godly woman. She's sensible in dealings. It says here that uh, she is uh, she's to be taught in verse 5 to be discreet. Now, the word discreet there just means sensible or prudent or self-controlled. There's another word a Greek word that means self-controlled, is the word that was used about the aged men in verse 2, temperate. But this is a word, a different word, 
It, it has more the thought of being sensible or being wise. A godly woman needs to make wise choices. A godly woman is to be a woman of common sense. Makes, does things that make sense. Doesn't act foolishly. How does a godly woman make decisions? Well, first, she doesn't follow the crowd. She doesn't follow the world. She's not a victim of the herd syndrome that so many are a victim of on these days. And every day, she's not afraid to be different, in other words. She will be careful to keep the biblical commands, even if that makes her different. Um, If it uh, is... uh, she doesn't ask, is it sinful? Is it legal? She asks, what is the wise thing to do? What would God have me to do? She bases her decision on God's priorities, on her life, her God, her husband, her children, her self-care. She doesn't get busy doing things that may prevent her doing the best things. So that's another characteristic. She is sensible in dealings. Another thing is she's sexually pure. The word there in verse 5 is chaste or modest. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 2 calls for chaste conversation coupled with fear by which she brings glory to God and to herself. Now, we think of the modesty here we think of what Peter says in or 1 Peter 3, verse 3, 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 to 10, it says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness in good works. It's common for worldly women to judge themselves by the clothes that they wear, by the riches that they have, by the things that they have. Godly woman doesn't do that. She's not so much concerned with the clothes that she wears. doesn't mean that she isn't concerned at all about the clothes that she wears, but that's not the main thing. Many will use, uh, wear fancy, revealing clothing, but the focus of a godly woman is on the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. Where is my heart? And we think of all of those things. She doesn't lust after men. She doesn't uh, commit adultery. All of those things. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. She is sexually pure. Number nine, she is shrewd in business. It says, keepers at home. She's the watcher of the household. The man's the head of the home. The woman is the keeper of the household. She is given the household affairs. She looks after the household affairs. Now, that's a, that's a position of honor. It's not, it's not that uh, it's uh, something under or uh, something inferior. Uh, she is, and the, 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 the man of the house should be willing to give her the uh, running of the home, the affairs of the home. Now, it doesn't mean here that she can't work outside the home. Uh, she can work outside the home, of course she can, but um, it means 
that her thought is on the running of the home and on the, her mind is on the domestic sphere, but she manages the home. And how many women manage the home? They look after the affairs and the budget and looking for the bargains and things like that. But she is shrewd in business. She's a keeper at home. Then she's sympathetic with others. A godly woman is to be good. Keepers at home, good. What does the word good mean? Well, of course, it's a very general term, but it means kind. It means good in nature, good-natured. So a godly woman is to be somebody that is good-natured, somebody that follows the things of uh, God and the things of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit of God. And we are to be good, kind-natured to those that are around about us, those that are um, we come across day by day. And thank God for the wonderful nature that we have uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. The last one here is submissive to her husband. And of course, this is something that is repeated on a number of occasions in the Word of God. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24 says, Wise, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. God has designed the family in such a way as the husband is the head. The wife is the leader of the home. She is the one, she's the keeper of the home. But the word that the uh, husband is given is that he is the head of the home and that the uh, wife and the family submit to the husband. Now, the word for submit is, is a Greek word that is primarily a military term. Uh, meaning to rank oneself under someone else. It's the same term that is used of the Lord Jesus Christ in relationship to God the Father. They are equal. There is no difference between them. But the Lord Jesus has placed himself under. He's made submissive to the Father. He does the will of his Father. And he does, it doesn't mean that they're not equal. It doesn't mean that they don't have the same standing or the same importance or anything like that but it means that they have just a different function. There has to be a function in the family. Like any other organization, you have to have one that does one thing and one that does another thing. And if the, the two aren't working together, the whole of the organization won't function. And that's why God has given it the way that he has. And he has ordered it that the husband is the head of the home, but also... He has to consult with his wife. Husbands, love your wives. And that is something that's absolutely important. It, if it says that the husband is the head of the home, it doesn't mean that he tramps over everybody else and consults with nobody else. We are told that when we're married, we are one flesh. Now, if you're one flesh, you've got to have the whole body moving together. And if one's pulling, one part of your body is pulling one way 
and another part of the body is pulling another way, it's going to, not going to be healthy. And your marriage is not going to be healthy unless the two of you are pulling in the same direction. And that implies consultation one with another. It means agreement one with another. And that's the way that the marriage is to function. Of course, the husband has the last say if there's a complete disagreement. And in that case, the wife doesn't have to bear any of the, uh, the consequences of that on the judgment seat of Christ. But we think of how the woman here is to be submissive to her husband. She is to be the one who uh, holds to what the Scripture says about these things. Now, the husband is not to be a coercive. He's not to be a bully in any way. That would be wrong. That would be wrong. But I want you to see this is not politically correct, but it is biblically correct. And what is the motive of the submission? Well, it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 5, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The ultimate reason for submitting to your husband uh, and, uh, is so that an unbelieving husband or an unsaved or unbelieving children or an unbelieving world will see you and be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the real motive for all 11 of these qualities, that we may glorify God, that we may bring honor to God in all that we are. And the motive is that when a person looks at the life of a godly woman or a godly man, that they'll be attracted to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that we have lives that are attractive in this world, that are different, and will attract the, the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just unite together in the throne of grace and prayer. And do remember the Holiday Bible Club, and that's probably going to be our focus tonight, uh, to remember that. Um, there's also a Holiday Bible Club, Christina, our uh, sister Christina Logan is also doing one um, in the afternoon in Newton Ards, and then she's coming over here and doing the one here in Crossgar. So we can pray for both of those, but pray for our own that God will be pleased to bring children in onto the sound of the Word of God. Uh, Danny is doing one down in um, Ardar at the present time, or at least he's doing the teenagers. 27 or so teenagers and 60 or so uh, children are coming in. So do remember all of these holiday Bible clubs are going on and pray that God will bless. And then remember our mission, please. And can we pray for that? And could I ask, uh, just make an announcement that, um, well, I suppose I should speak to the elders first, but I, I don't think that the elders will mind, is that um, if we have times of prayer on a Sunday evening uh, coming up to the mission. And if we can take the time after Sunday evening service, please, to uh, pray that God will bless and step in there and bless his word. So if you could remember that and pray for that. The Reverend Simon Anderson, um, his wife lost her sister. You might have heard on the news. Uh, Judith McMullen was killed off a motorbike there. Uh, yesterday, 
or I remember the day before, but it was reported yesterday, and uh, that was um, uh, the Reverend Anderson's wife's sister. So could you remember that family, please, in your prayers as well, and others that have been led aside, let's bring them to the Lord at the throne of heavenly grace. So let's unite together, please, in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for the instruction of thy precious word. And our Father, we think of these qualities that are to be true of a godly woman and also of a godly man, mostly. Uh, We are not to maybe just be instructors of young women, but nevertheless, in that sense, and in the direct sense, but then all of the other things, mostly, are things that will be true of all of us. And we pray, gracious God, that thou wouldst enable us to be uh, examples in this day and generation, that we might portray the Lord Jesus Christ to those that are around us. Bless our God, and as far as these outreaches are concerned, in the next little while, we do thank thee for these opportunities that are given to us to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we do thank thee that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all can ask or think. We're glad that God can break in in mighty Holy Ghost power. We ask thee that thou wouldst work even in this day for thy name's sake and for thy glory. O God, we look to thee. We pray for thy blessing. We ask thee that thy hand would be upon us Remember all who need thy touch. Draw near to them each one. And bless us now in the place of prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen.